Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part five of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 19 called Our God is a Consuming Fire. The word consecrate there in verse 10 of Exodus 19 is kadash in Hebrew, related to the word kadosh. And it means to make holy, which means to make acceptable to God, or it means that you belong to God. To be set apart is this Hebrew word. The the Greek equivalent is hagios in the New Testament. And that's the word for a saint. And we as Christians are saints. We're holy and beloved of God, not because we're particularly holy, but because we are in Christ and we're cloaked in the holiness of Jesus Christ. That's how God now sees us. He sees us through the finished work of his son. And God says, I want you, Moses, to consecrate the people. Now, how would Moses do this? Well, reading between the lines, probably through an animal sacrifice. And the word kadosh there, set them apart, sanctify them. Today and tomorrow, let them wash their garments. Get ready. Let them put on their Sabbath best. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. And so the people were to get ready. Moses probably offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And they were literally to be kadosh. They were to be set apart. Here's the interesting thing. In the Hebrew picture language, kadosh means that which comes or that which follows the threshing. You say, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient world and still today, they would separate the wheat from the chaff in a process called the threshing or the threshing floor. And the temple in Jerusalem, David purchased from Ornan the Jebusite, was actually a threshing floor. The temple was built on a threshing floor, and the temple is all about holiness. It's all about how you approach God and how holy he is. And the way that we become holy practically is by separating the wheat in our lives from the chaff. The chaff needs to be burned up. Amen? That's practical holiness. Holiness is what follows the threshing. It's getting the chaff out of your life so the wheat can come up and things can grow and you can be blessed. And so this is an interesting word. And so they were, they were to go through this sacrificial process, whatever it was, and then they were to take perhaps a mikvah, but it does here say the washing of their clothes and not their bodies. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, having our bodies washed with pure water, as it begins to talk about the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the mediator of a new covenant. But they were to wash their clothing. And your clothing represents you. So they were basically to clean up their lives in preparation for the Lord's arrival. If you knew that the Lord was going to come at 9 p.m. tonight, what would you do? Would you get in some of those closets that need to be cleaned out? Oop, get rid of it. Oh, the Lord's coming, Lord's coming, Lord's coming. Right? What would you need to clean out of your life? What chaff needs to go? Some of you may say, well, my eschatology is that the Lord probably will not return in our lifetime. Well, let me uh, tell you something else. You're a heartbeat away from meeting him. So if he doesn't come in your lifetime, you're still going to die because the statistics on death 
are quite impressive. <laughs> I'm sure you've noticed. So either way, our life has to be preparing to meet our God. Can I ask you, how are you doing with that? Do you know, there's, there's no way to predict when we're going to be with the Lord. And here's the good news. We're going to be with the Lord as believers. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So we don't have to freak out about that. But how prepared are we? How much have we used our life for his glory, for his purposes? You know, a lot of times when we're faced with the, this prospect of our mortality, we you know, maybe we're not feeling well or something's going on. We, we'd like to push back. You know, please give me more time, more time, more time. And, that, and that's human and, and that's fine and that's good. But at some point we're going to meet our God and what we did in this life does matter. And so the people were to clean their garments. Jacob, uh, he says this to, to a group that he's with. Uh, actually, the Lord's speaking to Jacob and he says, arise and go to Bethel, Genesis 35, 1. Live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you, Genesis 35, 2, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Why would Jacob, who gets renamed Israel, have to tell his extended household to get rid of their idols? Why were their idols there in the first place? But let's take our example of Jesus appearing at 9 p.m. tonight. What idols would need to go out of your life? Would you have to do some cleanup, some quick cleanup? Jesus coming 9 o'clock, <laughs> right? I mean, that tells us where we're at. And if you're good and if you say, you know what? I'm feeling good. There's, there's nothing that I think I would have to clean out of my life. You're probably at a pretty good place. But if, you're, if that prospect of his appearance makes you think about several locations in your house and your life, you may want to get rid of the idols and put on some fresh new garments. In the spiritual sense, it's putting on the new man. It's putting on the armor of God. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, 1 John 3, 1, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, 1 John 3, 3, purifies himself, even as he is pure. The Lord calls upon his New Testament church to purify ourselves. Why? Because the Lord wants us to be clean vessels. And we live in a very dirty world. We live in a world that bombards us with all kinds of garbage. And the Lord says, I want my people to be pure. And yes, we have a, a positional righteousness because of the work of Jesus. We can't get any more righteous because of God's work through the cross, through the resurrection. We got to understand that. But practical holiness is something that God still calls us to. Be holy, for I am holy. And Israel is being called upon to get ready. 1911 of Exodus, let them be ready for the third day. On the third day, the Lord, that's Yahweh, will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, beware, 
that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. That mountain was going to be oozing with, filled with divine electricity. If you were to uh, locate the actual Mount Sinai, find it, verify it, and touch it today, you wouldn't sizzle. You know why? (laughs) Because God is not there today. He lives in the heavens, the earth. He lives somewhere in another dimension. The earth is simply his footstool, right? So that Sinai wouldn't hurt you if you touched it. And you might be saying, well, they... God wants the people to know him. He's coming down, but then he, he puts all these parameters on it, all these boundaries. Well, it's for their own safety because of God's holiness. But here's my point. Today, touching the mountain wouldn't matter because what makes the mountain holy is the Holy One. Earlier in chapter 3, the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush. It burnt, but it, did not, it was not consumed. And what's one of the first things that God says to Moses? Take off your sandals. You are on holy ground. Now, that ground wasn't particularly holy before then. What made it holy was the presence of God. Now, here's the connection. What makes you holy is the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. This makes you extraordinary. This makes you special. This makes you a peculiar people, a people of God's own possession. Amen? This is why our lives are special as believers, because we have been set apart by God as holy. I was at an early Bible study one time with a wonderful, uh, previously Roman Catholic brother, and the Roman Catholic Church says that, you know, in order to become a saint, to be truly holy, you've got to have done a miracle, and there's all these other requirements. And so I was teaching through, I think, Ephesians at the time, and it was early morning, and it's about 6 a.m. Bible study. There's about seven or eight guys around the table. It was an ugly scene, drool on some of their, you know. There were, some people were taking coffee intravenously. It was just, it was, a, it was an ugly scene anyway. But, and I'm teaching this passage, and I said, the Bible says that you are all saints because of who you are in Christ. Positionally, you're a saint. And this wonderful Roman Catholic, former Roman Catholic brother looked around, and he said, I know one thing. Ain't none of you saints. Because <laughs> he was looking at our outward appearance. And, and certainly he had, he had real reason to doubt from the exterior. But we were in Christ. The reason that this book is holy is because it's breathed out by God. It's, it's been bound the way books are bound. It has the same paper that a lot of different books have. But it is holy. Prophets were holy because God set them apart. Ground was holy because God was there. God makes that which is unholy, holy, including you and me. Praise the Lord. That's how we become right with God. But they're warned there's a way to approach God. Don't touch. Near his presence, says one writer, we are lashed with terror, but leashed with longing. We want to know God, but we know when we read about God, how awesome and powerful he is. When Jesus appears at the end of Revelation 19, he's going to appear with a multitude, with probably all of the angels in flaming fire. His name is the word of God. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. There's awesome imagery when it relates to the coming of God. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called In His Image, A Case for Life in a Post-Roe v. Wade World with guest speaker Scott Klusendorf from the Life Training Institute. You know, sometimes we as pastors think, oh boy, I don't want to get distracted. I want to stay tethered to the Great Commission. And I agree, we should be about the Great Commission. But the question is, what does the Great Commission teach? The Great Commission teaches that we are to disciple believers. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey all that Christ commands. What is one of those commands in Scripture? We're not to shed innocent blood. Exodus 23, 7 teaches that. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 teaches that. Matthew 5, 21 references that. So when we speak about abortion, which is the shedding of innocent blood, we're not distracting people from the Great Commission. We're helping them align with it. You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com, or you can subscribe and follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. That's Walk in Truths a step closer on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. It's been bound the way books are bound. It has the same paper that a lot of different books have. But it is holy. Prophets were holy because God set them apart. Ground was holy because God was there. God makes that which is unholy, holy, including you and me. Praise the Lord. That's how we become right with God. But they're warned there's a way to approach God. Don't touch Near his presence, says one writer, we are lashed with terror, but leashed with longing. We want to know God, but we know when we read about God, how awesome and powerful he is. When Jesus appears at the end of Revelation 19, he's going to appear with a multitude, with probably all of the angels in flaming fire. His name is the word of God. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. There's awesome imagery when it relates to the coming of God. And here, I don't know if people quickly grabbed pens and began to write signs, beware of God, beware of God, beware of God. Now, today, they're beware of dog. But And the people were warned, don't come near, don't touch. There'll be a time For you to come up, but you are to worship the Lord acceptably with reverence and awe. And so no hand shall touch him, the person who touches the mountain, 13, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. I'm not sure who would do this, but it would be beast or man, he shall not live. Not even a beast could come near and touch it. And when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Now they can come up but only after the blowing of the shofar. And it would be a long blast, and then the people were allowed to make their way up. It is interesting because the Bible says that when Jesus comes again, there's going to be the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And when that happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and the clouds in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The Lord's going to descend with a trumpet or a shofar blast. And it says in other places, like in one of the Psalms, that the Lord, when he descended upon uh, Sinai, was there with a myriad of angels and that the law was mediated through angels. So up on Mount Sinai, God came down, the angels came down, and it was this amazing scene of heaven coming down to us. And heaven has come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The words that I speak are from the Father. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. You want to know what heaven's like? You want to know what God is like? You want to know what God has to say to a contemporary people like us? Read about the life of Jesus. Jesus said, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. But the nation largely rejected him when Jesus appeared. Why? The religious leadership cared too much about their power with Rome, the money they were making in the temple and so forth, their prestige and even their religiosity. And when Jesus did many, many miracles, including raising Lazarus from the dead, you know what they said? We need to kill Lazarus too because he's a witness of the power of Christ. See, this is why even when God comes to a generation and makes himself clear, it's still about our heart. It's still about how we will respond. And so the shofar was blown. I don't know who would blow it. It could have been one of the angels there on Mount uh, Sinai. And they would blow the ram's horn and the Lord would descend and the people would come up. This is beautiful end times imagery, isn't it? Because when the Lord descends on the day of the Lord, there's going to be two responses. If you're here on the planet and you see Jesus coming in flaming fire with a myriad of angels and so forth, and you know him, you know what you're going to say? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, here we go. But if you're on the other side and you don't know Jesus, you're going to be saying, rut row. Because you're going to meet the God of Sinai without being in the covering of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? without being cloaked in his righteousness. This is what it means to be in Christ and what it means not to be in Christ. And some people kind of jokingly say, well, when God comes, you know, I'll meet him for a cup of coffee and I got some questions. We're going to be talking about my top 10 questions about me and the big guy upstairs. We're going to have a conversation. No, you ain't. (laughs) See, our God is a consuming fire. He's so holy, you can't even look upon him and live. He says later to Moses, and Moses got about as close as anybody could get in the Old Testament. He said, you you can't see my face and live, Moses. No one can gaze upon the fullness of my glory and live. You, You would just die without that covering, without being born again. And of course, we're going to be fully redeemed in our bodies as well. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, Jesus tells a story Matthew 25, 5 and 6. They all got drowsy, the ten virgins, and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. This is what's going to happen when the Lord appears. He's going to come. And the the real issue is going to be whether or not you got oil in your lamp. 
And a lot of people think the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit in your life. So two primary uses for the shofar, the blowing of the trumpet. One, it was to call the people of God to the presence of God, to call a sacred assembly. So they blow the horn. And it would blow, and the people would know, okay, it's time to gather to the Lord. The other purpose of the blowing of the shofar was to go to war. Think about it. When the Lord comes and the trumpet blows, the people of God are going to go to the presence of God in the rapture, resurrection and rapture, and the Lord is going to go to war in the day of the Lord imagery all over our Bible. And this is what's going to happen when the trumpet blows. The people of God are rescued and the wrath of God comes down. So Mount Sinai is about a covenant. It's about who our God is. And when the people heard about what God wanted to do, remember, they responded with everything he said we'll do. Everything he said we'll do. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do, we do, we do, we do. How'd they do? How'd they do with keeping God's top 10 commandments given to them on Sinai? Uh, well, it didn't take long until they were making a golden calf. Remember that? <laughs> they broke pretty much every one of the commandments within a matter of days or hours. Why? Why couldn't they keep the law? Well, because let's take it to us. It, the problem is our humanity. We, we, mean to, we often mean to do well, but even what, when we mean to do well, we don't do what we're supposed to do. And think about the commandments. They're pretty good, right? Don't have any other gods before the God of the Bible. Don't make an idol. You know, uh, don't take his name in vain. The moral side of it, don't murder anybody. Don't steal stuff that doesn't belong to you. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. These, these are pretty good laws. And, and they're, here's what they're really about. They're really about loving God and loving others and not being selfish. And that is where all our problems begin. Because the hit song says that the greatest love of all is to love me. Isn't it? Well, there was a hit song. The greatest love. <laughs> and I can't hit the notes, right? No, I'm not even going to try. That would scare you away. But here's the thing. The greatest love of all is not to love yourself. That's a cultural mantra. The greatest love of all is to love God and to love others. And when you find that great love, your life begins to fall into place. I believe that our culture is as sick as it is because we've become consumed with self. And I want you to let that sink in. Our culture is probably as mentally sick as it's ever been in my lifetime. Because we are consumed with self and perception of self. Whether it's social media, whether it's the way we were born or what we think of ourselves, etc. You can walk it out in all sorts of moral dysfunction, brethren. This is where it is. And the Bible says there's a remedy for that. Get your eyes off of yourself. You've been listening to Our God is a Consuming Fire, Part 5 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus chapter 19. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, we'd love it if you would join us this Sunday morning for church service at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Now, you can do that whether you live in Southern California or not. 
we live stream our 10.30 a.m. service. But if you're in the area, we'd prefer if you come in and fellowship in person. You can get service and live stream information when you visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Hey, if we can help you in any way, if you're a pastor and we can pray for you, you can send in prayer requests at walkintruth.com. There's a little place there for comments. You can put a prayer request there. You can let us know how we can pray for you. We do have pastors available during the week right here in Southern California. Normal business hours, Tuesday through Friday. Here's the number, 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. If you want to call that number and maybe you just need some prayer because you're tired or maybe you need uh, someone to hear you out, maybe you have a question, uh, we're here to help. 844-48-TRUTH. God bless you. I pray that you'll take advantage of what's available on the website, what's available through that calling that phone number. And uh, I thank you for your partnership and your prayers on behalf of the whole team here at Walk in Truth. We love you. Pray you'll have a tremendous weekend. God bless. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month or give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us on Monday for part six of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus chapter 19 called Our God is a Consuming Fire. I'm Mike Massaro. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.